don't know me. My name is Robert Cumberbatch, and as Kevin said, I've been a long-time member here at uh, Forest Brook. What a wonderful session we've had so far, haven't we? Absolutely. So today we are continuing with our redefine, the redefine segment. Of, uh, the is taken from Matthew chapter 7, 1 to 23, uh, the part of which we just heard from the worship team. Now this is a remarkable passage with so much to teach us. But first, let's, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that the presence of your Holy Spirit might fill this place and our hearts. We pray that his presence among us will be palpable in everything that we do and say here today in our prayers and take these ordinary words and endow them with the life-affirming, life-giving, life-transforming power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> so, uh, let me ask you a question. Who is your boss? I mean the one at the office where you work, the one who is making your life miserable. <laughs> and who is your neighbor? I mean the one living on your street, the one with the loud music at one o'clock in the morning. How do you see them? It's more than a week now since a young man in Florida killed 17 young students and teachers. An act so horrific that it's hard to get one's head around it. But a day or two after the massacre, the couple with whom he had been saying described the young man this way. We had this monster living under our roof. In meditating on this, today I, I pondered on that. Many agree with them. Ask them who Nicholas Cruz is, they'll say, a monster. How do you see people? How does Jesus see them. And who are you? Who are you at your core? I often hear people saying, I'm trying to find myself. They sense a loss. And yet judging seems to be at our, to be built in our very DNA. And why not? People do stupid things, sometimes terrible things. It's up to us to set them straight, right? Of course, people look different than us. They're not the same culture, religion, background. They sometimes dress different. 
and some are terrorists. What does Jesus have to say about judging others? What did you hear as the worship team read the passage from Matthew 7? It is clear that Jesus has a problem with how we sit in judgment on others. Forget that the ultimate judgment is in God's hands alone. This passage tells us that judging others somehow leads to judgment on ourselves. Second, in judging others, we are making a statement about ourselves, about who we think we are. The other person has something in his eye, clearly. But we don't realize that we have a beam, a plank in our own eyes. Jesus recognizes a truth that so many of us fail to grasp. And it is this. It is much easier for us to see the guilt and failures of others than the guilt in ourselves. When last have you told someone, I am sorry? The thing that should concern us most in this passage is that we will be judged by the same standards that we use to judge others. <clears throat> there are many passages in the Bible that we can look at that help us to understand a little bit more about what Jesus is talking about. We'll look at two of them. <clears throat> Luke 18. Two men go up to the temple to pray. One of them is a Pharisee. He is the religious one. He is the one who knows the law, the Torah, the Bible, backwards and forwards, front and back. He sees himself as having an outstanding reputation in the community, as standing above the ordinary man. He has a sense of entitlement. God owes him. <clears throat> Beside him is the other man, a despised tax collector. Fairly nice clothes. Well, he has been gouging the people and fraternizing with the hatred. They hated Romans. Not a like person at all. But one who has begun to realize that all the money in the world cannot assuage the dryness and the hunger and thirst in his soul. He knows that he is despised. He knows he hasn't lived a good life. He hardly dares to believe that there can be any hope for him. But God is all he's got left. So he throws himself on the ground, crying out from the depths of his soul, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. In the meantime, the Pharisee has distanced himself from the tax collector, and this is what he prays. I thank you, God, 
that I am not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of my income. Two men. One man judging, making a statement about him, himself and looking down, judging the other. The other aware only of his total unworthiness before God. One man so blind to what God requires and what God sees. A man unable to see the huge plank in his own eyes. But having no trouble seeing what is wrong with the other as he leaves. Totally unaware of God's verdict. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home just the for God. The other story, Luke 7, starting from verse 36. It also includes a Pharisee. He invites Jesus to his house for dinner. Had he noticed Jesus' popularity with the crowds? And was he hoping to have some of that rub off on him? Or was it something more sinister? Hoping to find some weak spot in Jesus so he can justify himself. Something he could exploit and make him look good with his people. Luke doesn't say. Anyway, Jesus is invited. He is reclining at the dinner table in this Pharisee's house when in walks a woman. She has not been invited. The passage tells us that this woman lived a sinful life. And everyone knew it. Imagine the courage it must have taken for such a woman to enter that house, this God-fearing, reputable household. The reaction, I think, must have been a little like years ago in a church I grew up in, nice church, many of the people I fondly remember to this day, but human beings, I guess. Into our service stumbled a somewhat drunk, smelly, shabbily dressed man. I can still visualize the yeah response. Hmm. I was very young and I can't remember exactly how it turned out in the end, but I seem to remember that some of the good brothers guiding, guided him back out, gently, I hope. It would be nice to think that someone invited him for a meal and, some, uh, and for some follow-up help. <clears throat> anyway, this woman, this bad character, heads straight for Jesus, who is reclining, as we saw, at the dinner table. She comes, and she stands behind him, and she is weeping. The tears gush from her eyes and drip onto Jesus' feet. Our good Pharisee watches on in disbelief. Surely Jesus is going to show her, shoo her away. Doesn't he know her reputation? 
But Jesus is totally unperturbed. And the woman realizes that her tears are dripping onto Jesus' feet. Of course, no one is handing her a towel. But she's oblivious to all but Jesus. She stoops down and with her long flowing hair wipes the tears from his feet and kisses them. You can imagine the silence. It must have been deafening. And then she pours out a bottle of the most expensive perfume and rubs the fragrant liquid onto his feet. And Jesus doesn't stop her. The woman has never been treated with this kind of respect and dignity before. She has been used and she has been abused and she has been disrespected and put down. And sure, she has not lived a good life. The ugly marks of a bitter, hard, shameful life are etched on her face. But she had heard the rumors about Jesus. His stories of a kingdom, of acceptance, of love. Maybe, just maybe something good, some grace for her was possible. So when she heard that Jesus was in town, nothing was going to stop her from seeing him. Oh, she had to take a chance on Jesus. And as those who after would come to him would find out, when you take a chance on Jesus, you always win. So when she burst into that house and saw Jesus, the floodgates of her life burst. All the shame and the guilt and the loneliness of her loveless life collapsed into a torrent of tears. And Jesus saw the hurt, the pain, the bitterness. He saw the wound in her soul. And he saw something else. He saw through the pain and the hurt to the core of who she was meant to be, who she was created to be. He saw the beauty. He saw the image of God, marred and broken as it was, in all the perfection it was meant to be. We are all created in the image of God. We were created for purity and beauty and love. Created to masterpieces of God. And Jesus saw that broken masterpiece in that woman. He saw it restored and complete and pure. But Simon the Pharisee does not have the eyes of Jesus. He saw a woman of no worth, no value. All he could do was mutter on this, under his breath that this man, Jesus, is no prophet after all. Otherwise, he would have known that this woman was nothing but a cheap rag. Jesus knows his heart as he knows ours. He knows his heart. And Jesus calls him over. Simon, he says, let me tell you a story. Two men were in debt to a moneylender. One owed him $50, say, and the other one $500. It turns out that neither of them could pay. And the moneylender 
graciously canceled both debts. Who, Simon, who do you think will love him more? Who will be most grateful? And Simon has to concede, well, the one who was forgiven most. And then here's what Jesus does. He turns to the woman and hear the beautiful words. Turns to the woman and says this, your sins are forgiven. And your faith saved you. Go in peace. And that woman went away. A woman in restoration to the beauty that she was meant to be. I believe she went away with her dancing shoes. The problem with both of these Pharisees is that they could not see themselves. As they truly were in need of restoration. They couldn't see others with the eyes of Jesus. They both saw themselves as entitled to God's favor. Others perhaps see themselves as sufficient in themselves and not needing God, needing God after all. After all, who needs God when you are so good? So, Simon was judged. He did not hear the words of forgiveness from Jesus. But the woman whom he judged did. The Pharisee in the temple, he did not hear the words of justification from Jesus, but the tax collector did. What do these stories tell us? Those who come to God not looking at others, but recognizing their need for something real, something lasting, something authentic, recognizing the emptiness in selves, inside themselves, experience God's forgiveness and kingdom. Now, at the same time, I'm not saying that the tax collector all of a sudden found himself in everybody's good books and that everybody suddenly started to like him and that there were no more struggles to come. And to be sure, the woman did not all of a sudden find herself in possession of the keys to the city. But something had radically changed in both of them. Something authentic had occurred. When you have a sincere and genuine encounter with Jesus, things change. You become a new creation in Christ Jesus. A masterpiece in process of restoration. A true, authentic disciple of Jesus. This is part of what Jesus meant when he talked about the kingdom. People living transformed lives by the grace, mercy, and love of God. Not only that, but they begin to see others through the eyes of Jesus. This is the challenge today for you and I who claim we know Jesus, to see others with the eyes of Jesus. Now it's not that as if Jesus is soft on sin. He demands that his people be heard on sin, especially sin in themselves. 
be perfect. He asks of us, as your heavenly father is perfect. But you can almost hear the words of the two Pharisees in Jesus' statement in, in verse 22 of this chapter. Didn't we, did we not do good things in Jesus' name or God's name? And did we not, and did we not, and did we not? And Jesus' sad response is what? I never knew you. There is a sting here that we have to recognize. You mean it is not about what I do? My outstanding reputation and all the money I give to the poor? No, Jesus says. Jesus doesn't see what you do. He sees who you are. Authentically in your heart. And here we come to the heart of this series. You have heard it said, but I say unto you. Let's see if we can shape it into today's, into the, to today's message. Jesus is saying something like this. You have heard it says, it, you've heard it said, those who do are. But I say unto you, those who are do. You have heard it said that those who do good things and do all kinds of uh, religious acts and things like that, you've heard it said, they are fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus says, no, no. He says, those who are fit, who have been made fit, fit for the kingdom of God by the grace of God, by coming to Jesus and asking for forgiveness and giving his life to him, they do. What Jesus, when Jesus looks at us, he sees the blueprint of what God meant us to be. We were created in the image of God, but that image has been spoiled and marred by sin. All have sinned, Romans 3 and 23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is no difference in terms of sin between a Pharisee who fasts twice a day, gives to the poor, performs all kinds of good deeds in God's name, and a despised tax collector. There is no difference from the standpoint of being a sinner between a Pharisee stalwart of the community and a despised woman of ill repute in God's eyes. But it's hard not to compare ourselves with a drunk stumbling into a church, a despised tax collector, and a woman of ill repute. Romans 2 and 1. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. 
What Paul means is that no matter how different we look on the outside, in the inside, we are all the same outside of Christ. Selfish, self-absorbed sinners, some maybe with a little less mud, a little less dirt on the outside. But we are all more broken than we think. But, and here's the good news, God's love is infinitely greater than our brokenness. We are more broken than we think, but God's love is infinitely greater than our brokenness. When Jesus looks at the woman in Simon's house and sees hurt, pain, he feels her loneliness, he understands her shame, her guilt, he knows, even though she cannot bring herself to admit it, that what she wants, she needs, what she needs is to be loved for who she is. To be loved, cherished, not used. It's what Simon, the Pharisee, needs but doesn't or refuses to see. When you see Jesus the way Jesus sees others, when you understand that you are no more special to God than they are, when you see them for the beauty that they were meant to be, judging them becomes impossible. Now you can begin to love instead of judge. And in doing so, you reveal yourself as an authentic child of the kingdom, a true disciple, one who through the Holy Spirit is capable of great things for God. So how can I challenge us today? Can you imagine what would happen if starting at work or at school tomorrow, we started to consciously and deliberately look at people with the eyes of Jesus? People who are different than us, the people that we don't naturally like, seeing the image of God in them, in our boss, in our neighbors, in our spouse, in our, you fill in the blanks. What would happen? Man, I think it would be just such an enormous difference. Maybe you're here and saying to yourself, I don't know much about this Jesus and I don't have that authenticity. There's something in me that's hollow and empty and I feel a little like that woman or that Pharisee or I know I need Jesus. I want that love. You can have it today. What does the passage say when you read a little further down? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. 
For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. This is a passage about the kingdom, about entrance into the kingdom. Some people read, ask and it shall be given to you as if it's ask for anything. Ask, Lord, that I will win the lottery tomorrow. It's about asking for the kingdom of God to enter your life. Ask and it will be given to you. Knock. Jesus says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. He's the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And you can ask right where you sit. You don't have to worry about others. This is between you. But if you do, that we would love to hear from you. Today you can be set free. So I end where I began. Who is your boss? Who is your neighbor? Who are you? Someone in restoration by Jesus to the masterpiece you were created to be? Gung ho for Jesus to do his will? Someone who is going to make a difference on Monday to someone who needs to be loved rather than judged? It is a challenge. It may be hard, but you can do it. Why? Because there is power in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'll ask Howard to come up and...